One of the most powerful prayers you will ever pray is, God, change me. This is the first message in the series, How Prayer Changes Things. The message is entitled, Change Me. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. You know, oftentimes when we hear the phrase, how prayer changes things, our mind immediately goes to the word things. And when we think of things, we tend to think of external things, how prayer changes circumstances around us, or perhaps how prayer changes people that we're concerned about. And obviously, both of those kinds of prayers are very legitimate, very important for us to pray. God does change things in the sense of circumstances and things in the sense of people. But oftentimes we actually miss the mark when it comes to praying just for things that are external to us. The Bible is very clear that one of the major purposes of prayer is not just to change the things outside of us, but to actually change the things inside of us. And so the beginning point really for our study in prayer is not a prayer or praying prayers that God would change something beyond us or outside of us, but how does God change us through prayer? And I want us to look today at a person in Scripture that will help us to learn something about this lesson. And perhaps you've heard his name before mentioned. It's a character from the Old Testament. And the man's name is Jacob. Jacob has a very big role in Scripture, as you perhaps know. In fact, oftentimes you'll hear Scripture refers to, referring to God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob is a key part of the history of the Old Testament. But sometimes we fail to stop and look back at really who this person was and, and what we learn from his life, and especially when it comes to prayer, what do we learn about prayer from the life of Jacob and how Jacob prayed some prayers that actually very significantly changed his life. And so for today, I'm going to share with you four lessons from the life of Jacob that will help us to really pray effectively prayers that make a difference in who and what we are. Here's our first point for this weekend. First thing that we need to realize is that everybody has issues. We all have things in our own lives that need to be addressed. When we're studying the life of Jacob, we have to start with an awareness that he was a very, very uh, wonderful man in many ways. He had a lot of strengths. He was, he was a great businessman. He had a lot of uh, successful ambition in his life. He was the ability, had the ability to prosper even when he was serving other people. Uh, but yet in the midst of his ambition, his ability to be successful, to have great business skills, there was a dark side to Jacob that tarnished him, that tarnished his relationship with God, and that tarnished his relationships with other people. And actually for a significant portion of Jacob's life, we see him actually as a, as a sort of a liar and a cheat. And that's the beginning point of the story of Jacob. He's not so much of a great guy, although he ends up doing some great things with his life. We see this character flaw in Jacob. Let's take a look at the scriptures as we're introduced to the, uh, the, the character Jacob. In Exodus chapter 25, verse 21, we'll see that Jacob uh, came as a result of prayer by Isaac. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. So there's this miraculous pregnancy that occurs out of prayer. Isaac prayed, and of course, there was this conception when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. So it's not just one now that's going to be born, but they're twins. There were twin boys in her womb. The first came out, the first to come out was red. So let's take note of that first because 
Firstborn is important in Scripture. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. So remember here, who was the firstborn of the twins? His name not, was not Jacob. His name was Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's hill, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. And so what I want you to see is that in this birthing, this miraculous birthing of these twin boys, there's a firstborn of the twins and a secondborn. The firstborn is Esau and the secondborn is Jacob. Now this is significant because being the firstborn, it meant a couple of things. It meant, first of all, that you now had the birthright of the father. There was great, a great uh, inheritance that was given to the firstborn back in those days. And then also when the father was to pass on, there would be a blessing that was established and set aside for that firstborn child to receive, that firstborn male to receive. Now, this is where we begin to see the deceitful nature, the cunning nature of Jacob coming to the forefront. Because the Bible tells us that there was a time in Esau's life when he'd been out in the fields. He was a man that loved to go out and hunt in the fields. Jacob tended to be more of a homebody. And so Esau had been out in the fields, and he comes back in. He's very hungry, and he's asking for some food. And Jacob had prepared some, some wonderful soup uh, for the family that day. And Esau smells it. He wants some of that soup. And Jacob steps in and says, I'll give you some of the soup if you will give me your birthright. And there in that moment, moment, Jacob convinced Esau to sell him something that was extremely precious, his birthright. He connived the situation in such a way that he now has the birthright of Esau. We go on further, and ultimately Isaac, the father, is about to die, and we see this deceptive nature of, 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 excuse me, of Jacob coming up again. Because what happens is once uh, they learn that, I, that Isaac, the father, is dying, uh, they know that the blessing needs to be imparted. And so Jacob wants that blessing. Even though he's the second born, he wants the blessing. And so he and his mother, Rebecca, devise a scheme where he goes in and disguises himself as his brother Esau, convinces his father that he is Esau by lying to him because his father Isaac was basically blind at this point in time. And he does something else. He steals not only the birthright earlier, but at the death of his father Isaac, he steals Esau's blessing. This is a very serious offense on his part. Now you see that because of all of this, he has been conniving and, and deceiving. In fact, his very name, Jacob, means a deceiver or a liar, a supplanter. And so here is in, in this moment, the ugly nature of Jacob's character is in full view. Now, the result of this was not very pretty. In fact, let's take a look at uh, uh, Genesis chapter 27, and let's see what the result was. Of course, we would realize this to be the result. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him, that is, given Jacob. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then notice this, I will kill my brother Jacob. So great animosity, this terrible grudge now exists between Esau and Jacob, primarily obviously on Esau's part, and he wants to kill him. So this tricky, conniving, underhanded nature of Jacob has put his life in jeopardy. Now you would think, as would often perhaps be the case, that 
God would have disqualified someone like Jacob from any kind of blessing for the future of his life. And as we're going to see here in this story, because of some prayers or a particular prayer that Jacob prayed, God met him in a very real way and he opened his eyes to his own need and he brought about transformation in his life. My first point today is this, that all of us have issues. None of us come into the kingdom of God in perfection. We call, all come into God's kingdom with certain issues in our life, character flaws, places in our life that still need to be made holy and still need to be made whole. And until we recognize that reality, nothing will ever change in our life. And so perhaps my first question to all of us today is, what kind of Jacob are you? This Jacob was a lying and deceiving and conniving man that God had to work with. But all of us have issues in our life. And the beginning point for praying a prayer that will change your life is to admit the fact that you and I have issues that need to be addressed in our life. What are the issues in your life? Here's the second major lesson that we learned from today's story. The second lesson is this. God uses circumstances to help us see our issues. The problem is we're blind to our issues most of the time. We don't really see what, what we are or who we are and the things that really need to be changed inside of us. And so God has to use something to get our attention. God has to use something to help us become aware of those things that he wants to work on inside of us. And God quite often will use, yes, circumstances. And this is exactly what God did for Jacob. He used some circumstances. So as we saw a moment ago, that when Jacob stole the blessing from Esau, the family was torn apart. The family was, was dissected, divided, if you will. And of course, Esau now wants to kill his brother. So Jacob had to run away simply to spare his life. He was sent away from the family. And actually, as he flees from home, he finds himself in the territory of some of his other relatives. And actually, in, by divine providence, he ends up at a well where there's some shepherds there who are the shepherds of his father's brother or his uncle named Laban. Think about that. God miraculously, circumstantially, providentially brought Jacob to a place where he says, this is where you need to be. And there in that moment, God started a process by bringing Jacob under the influence of his uncle Laban, which ultimately would, be the re would result in the changing of his life because Jacob started working for Laban. Eventually, Jacob marries two of Laban's daughters, Rachel and Leah, and he found himself working for someone who was as crooked as he was. Think about it for a moment. Here's this crooked, deceiving, conniving Jacob. He ends up working for Laban, and it's not long before he realizes he's working for somebody just like himself. And in Jacob's and in, in Laban's employ, Jacob started reaping some of what he had sown. He found himself in, in a tough set of circumstances. Let's take a look at some examples of this that we see in the story of Jacob. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Jacob, and, excuse me, was Rachel. So Laban, two daughters, one was Leah, she was the older one, and Rachel was the younger. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. So he says, hey, I want that younger daughter. I'm in love with your daughter, Rachel. I'll actually give you seven years of my life if you'll give her to me as my wife. 
Let's take a look further at what happens. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. What an amazing love statement. He worked seven years for the love of his life. Now notice the deceptive nature of Laban. Notice how Jacob is getting some of his own, a taste of his own medicine as the story continues to unfold. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, my time is completed, and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. So Jacob has worked for the seven years, and now he says, hey, it's time. I promised you seven years for for Rachel. Let's have the marriage. Let's just get this thing going. Let's consummate this situation. And notice what happens. But when evening came, this is supposed to be the marriage ceremony. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah, that is Laban, took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. Now remember, who did Jacob love? He loved Rachel. He didn't want to marry Leah. He wanted to marry Rachel. But when the time came for the marriage, Laban said, I'm going to give you not Rachel. I'm going to give you Leah. He took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So somehow uh, in in the uh, initial consummation, there was not an awareness of who this was. And that's another aspect of another teaching in terms of that. But he discovers that actually he's been deceived. He didn't really get Rachel. He got Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Now stop with me for a moment. What is this that you have done to me? Think about the fact that Jacob had done some things to his brother Esau as well. He's reaping what he had sown in his life. What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Now here's the deceiver calling someone else a deceiver, okay? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. He continues here, finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. I will tell you, this is a tricky dude here, okay? He's tricked now Jacob into 14 years of service uh, just to get that second daughter. And I would assure you that Laban knew that he was going to do this all along. This was his plan from the beginning. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. What an amazing story of things shifting around. See, Laban, as I've mentioned, was just as conniving, just as deceptive as Jacob. Jacob had now met his match. And here was a situation where life was very hard now for Jacob at Uncle Laban's house. Why? Why did God allow this to happen in Jacob's life? I believe it was because God wanted Jacob to see himself. God wanted Jacob to see himself in Laban. See, when Jacob saw the deception in Laban, the Lord wanted this to be a mirror to Jacob, causing him to see himself. The Lord was using circumstances to show him what needed to change in his own life. Think about this just for a moment. All of us have issues. That was our first point today. Everybody has them. Jacob had them. And if God's going to perfect us and help us to become the people that he wants us to be, then we have to see these things in our life. We can't go through life blindly. And how does God 
bring these things to our attention, sometimes by allowing us to face some challenging circumstances. And the circumstances of life point us to the reality that that the issues of life are not out there. They're really in here. And I do believe, as I mentioned a moment ago, that Laban was simply a mirror that God wanted to use in Jacob's life to say, hey, you don't like this guy. Take a look at yourself because what you see in him is really what's going on inside of you. God uses circumstances to reveal to us our issues. Here's our third point for today. The third point is to get rid of our issues. We must get real with God. You can't get rid of issues until you get, what's the key word here? Say it with me. You got to get real with God. The fact of the matter is there, there, there's only one who can really help us with our issues. Other people can assist in the process of helping us to deal with issues in our life. But when it comes to the bottom line, we need God. And there's only one place where we can find God's help, and that's on our knees in prayer. And this is the story of Jacob's life, because Jacob learned this lesson that he now was facing his own issues, as we're going to see here in just a moment, and he realized that I need God to help me with this stuff in my life. I can't change my character. I need to be on my knees in that place of reaching out to God and that place of prayer and praying a prayer, God, change me. And this all happened when the Lord spoke in a new and fresh way to Jacob, as we see here in the story, as it continues to unfold. I would really encourage you to read all the chapters of Jacob's life. I cannot cover them all today, but you can read the entire flow of Jacob's life in the book of Genesis. But take a look now as the story turns. He served for 14 plus years. He's now understood something more about his own nature. He's faced some difficult circumstances. And then after all of this, the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. So God is now sending Jacob back home again. Now, you might recall what happened or what was going on the last time he left home. The last time he left home, it was really a a moment of fear in his life. He left because his brother Esau wanted to kill him. And Jacob did not realize that going back home was critical. Facing the past, facing the issue in his life that had led him away was now critical to his future. And that journey back to his homeland is going to be the most transforming moment in Jacob's life. It's going to be the moment when Jacob will learn to pray as he has never prayed before. It's going to be the moment where Jacob is going to get real with God and at last deal with some deep issues inside of him that he's never, never been willing to deal with before. See, Jacob knew that returning back home was very risky. He knew that returning back home could potentially mean that Esau would take his life, but he has to face this reality because God is sending him back home to a brother who perhaps still hated him and wanted to kill him. So what did Jacob do? You see the nature of Jacob here. What did Jacob do as soon as God told him to go back home? 
he starts scheming again. That's the only thing Jacob knows to do. This is who Jacob is. He starts coming up with his own plan. Oh, what am I going to do? How am I going to handle this situation? And take a look at how he's scheming to try to deal with his brother. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Jacob, or excuse me, Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you're to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I've been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkey, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I'm sending this message to to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. And so in essence, what Jacob does is Jacob sends out messengers ahead of him going back to his homeland. He's got all these gifts. He's got donkeys and sheep and all kinds of things because he wants to bribe his brother from taking his life. See, he's still in the scheming mode. He's still trying to work things out himself. He's still trying to handle life in his own strength and his own power, but his scheme did not work. Take a look at what happens here. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you. And notice this, and 400 men are with him. See, none of the sheep, none of the goats, none of that made any difference to Esau. He's now coming to where Jacob is, and he's not coming alone. He has 400 men with him. What does this speak to Jacob? It speaks doom to him. It speaks, it speaks destruction. Oh, my goodness, I'm in terrible trouble here. What am I going to do? And finally, Jacob does what he needed to do all along. Finally, this drives Jacob to do the very thing that he should have been doing from the very beginning. Jacob is driven to deep prayer. Not a prayer that will change something else things, other people, but a prayer that will change him. Jacob learns to pray the prayer that you and I need to learn to pray. It is the change me prayer. Take a look with me now at this prayer in this moment that happens in Jacob's life. Chapter 32 now is where we are in the story. Again, there are a number of chapters that are unveiling for us the story of Jacob's life in great fear and distress. And now he realizes, here comes Esau. He's got 400 men with him. None of my plans, my schemes are working to, to appease him. So in great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. Then Jacob, what did he do? Then Jacob prayed. Then he finally comes to the place of saying, if I'm going to get any help in this situation, I better get on my knees and I need to pray. Then Jacob prayed, oh God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac. Suddenly he's now calling out to God, Lord, you have said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. Suddenly now there's some humility in his life, right? He's not the proud Jacob that he was before. He realizes, I need God in this situation. I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed the Jordan. That is this shepherd's staff. But now I've become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. 
He continues this prayer, but you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. And he spent the night there. Here he is in a place where he is now, as we're going to see in just a moment, he's all alone with God. I want you to say that phrase with me, alone with God. Say it again, alone with God. Nobody else is around. It's Jacob, and he realizes that he's in trouble, and he realizes that the only person that can save him is God, and he realizes, as he's going to see, and we're going to see in just a moment, that the only thing that's going to change him or change the situation is the change that will happen inside of him. So here he is. He's left alone, as we'll see here in just a moment, and he prays a prayer. He encounters a, uh, an experience, has an experience with God that changes him. Now let's look and see. This experience as it unfolds. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him. Now, this man speaks of an angel. It was a godsend. It wasn't a human being. It was an angelic being that comes. It was God coming into the situation. So Jacob was left alone, and a man, an angelic being, wrestled with him. So there's a wrestling match going on. Have you ever wrestled in prayer? Have you ever been in a situation where you knew God was trying to deal with something and you're resisting and you're sort of fighting the thing and you're fighting it on your knees? When the man or the angel saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched. So the man said, you're you're so strong, you're so stubborn, I'm going to have to touch you in a way that you know that you've been touched by God. I'm going to touch you in your hip so that it's wrenched, or as we'll see in a moment, so that he becomes limp in in that joint of his body as he wrestled with the man. Look at this next statement. Then the man said, or the angel said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? That's very important because now God is getting him to confess something. He's saying, who are you? Would you finally break down and tell me who you are? Would you confess your sins? Would you confess your nature? Would you acknowledge who you are? What is your name? And he says, Jacob. And when he said Jacob, see the name Jacob means a liar, a deceiver, a supplanter. It's a man who is given to, to doing everything possible to connive and get his own will in his own way. So in that moment, God says, what is your name? Confess, declare who you are. Jacob, he answers. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. There in that moment is a transformational moment. I'll come back to this in just a bit to describe what that means, what that was all about. Because you've struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob says, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed them there. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God how face to face. And yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel. And he was, what was he? He was limping because of his hip. There in that moment, there's a divine encounter. This was a night of struggle with God. It was a night of intense prayer. And through that night, something happened. The stubborn will of Jacob was broken. That night, 
Jacob was broken by the hand of God in a good way. His hip was wrenched. It was dislocated. It was displaced so that he could no longer walk as he walked before us. He had he'd always walked as the proud man. He is, he'd always walked as a man who was in control of stuff. He was in control of circumstances. He had the tiger by the tail. He could handle life. Whatever came his way, he could find a way to connive and deceive and work his way around it. But suddenly he's not walking And the arrogance that he walked in before, he's walking now with a limp. He's walking as a man who's been broken. He never walked the same way again. It was that prayer meeting at this place called Peniel that changed Jacob's life for the rest of his life. Can I ask you, have you ever had a personal prayer meeting with God that changed you? Have you ever had a personal prayer meeting with God that brought about a brokenness in your life that allowed you to walk differently than you had ever walked before, that, you, that allowed God to deal with an area of your character that perhaps had never been dealt with before. There in that moment, Jacob prayed the change me prayer. He prayed a prayer that made the difference in his life for the rest of his life. And that leads to the last and final point today. God changes are always good changes. See, after this moment, after this encounter with God there at Peniel, Jacob's life didn't get worse. It got better, actually. Not only was Jacob changed, but greater blessing came into his life. His nature was changed, but also his name was changed. Go back with me to these verses again. Take a look at verses 27 and 28. Then the man, this is chapter 32 of Genesis, the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob said, answered, the man said, your name will be no, no longer be Jacob. Jacob, he answered, and the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Notice this, Israel, where we get the name Israel of the nation today, no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and humans and have overcome. Let me tell you about that name. This name meant a deceiver. This is pre-prayer. Israel meant a prince. This is post-prayer. Think about that with me for a moment. Here is a man that goes to God initially as a deceiver and comes away as a prince. Prayer makes a difference, does it not? Here's a man that goes in walking in his own arrogance and walking in his own pride, and he leaves with a limp, but although he's a limp, he's a prince with a limp. He's a man who's now walking in a new way, but he has a brand new name. But what about Esau? I mean, obviously, the whole thing that prompted Jacob to even pray this prayer and to get serious with God was the fact that he felt like he was going to lose his life. So, so we still got Esau out there somewhere with his 400 men. Uh, what about that? What's going to happen? I want you to see the difference that this kind of prayer makes. Take a look with me, if you will, at this, this last verse of Scripture today in Genesis 33, verse 4. Now, after all this prayer time and eventually Esau and Jacob come together, the Bible says Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. See, Jacob had feared that Esau was going to kill him. After the prayer time at Peniel, not only was Jacob changed, but Esau was changed as well. See, when Jacob changed, Esau changed. 
And so many times in our life, we want somebody else to change. We're waiting, oh God, change them and change that situation. But God says, no, I want to change you first. But there's sort of a, a domino effect that when God changes us, it's amazing what can happen in the people around us because God changes are always good changes. Good changes in the sense of what it does for us and what it does for the people around us. One of the most powerful prayers that you will ever prayer. pray is the God change me prayer. Everybody has issues. We all have them. We're blind to them oftentimes. But God will use circumstances just like God used Laban to help Jacob begin to see stuff in his own life. God uses circumstances to help us to see those issues in our life. But to get rid of those issues, we have to get real with God. Real times with God that are personal, not the kind of times that are just sort of superficial, but times when we really say, God, I need you to do something deeply inside of me. I need you to change this Jacob in me into a prince. I need you to help me to start walking differently. It doesn't matter if I will walk with a limp. That limp will be a God limp in my life, will remind me of my need of you. And God, I know that whatever your changes are, your changes are always good changes in my life. Would you bow together with me as we pray? Father, we thank you for the wonderful story of Jacob and how it reminds us of how you change us. Lord, how you want to help each one of us. And as we start this series on prayer together, Lord, we don't want to start with a focus on other things and other people. We, we want to start where we need to start, and that is with us. And I pray that something has been said today throughout this prayer of Jacob and this change me prayer, that you would help us to begin to come to that realization in our own lives of what you want to do in us. And Lord, all of us have places where we need to be healed. We need to have our arrogance removed where we need to learn to have our name changed in you and become the person that you want us to be. So, Lord, we pray today, Lord, change me by the power of your Holy Spirit. For that, we thank you in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray, and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus... I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away, all things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. 
your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.